1 Peter chapter 1. I promise to finish chapter 1 tonight. Um, not much more than that, but we will finish chapter 1. I promise that it will start picking up at some point as well, too. Um, Peter just has a lot to talk about at the very beginning, and I wanted to make sure that I did it right and, and got across the heart that he had for us in his letter. Um, I think it's important for us also to remember that as, as they're writing these letters, um, you know, again, we see this chapter 1, we see this chapter 2. Again, Peter is just writing a letter to the churches. You know, he's not breaking it down, hey, this will be chapter one, or hey, this is a good stopping point. They can pick back up next week when they have their church again. Um, he's not writing it so that we can break it down for a study. He's just writing a letter to these churches as an encouragement. And again, this is a church that was needing encouragement because of the, of the trials that they were going through and, and how the persecution that they were struggling because of what Rome was doing to them. Um, and so it's, again, it's important for us as we do read this that we keep it in the context of what it is. You know, Peter, again, writing to the churches that need the encouragement and need to have an understanding, again, as he has talked about in the last two weeks that we've studied in this first chapter of, of the purpose of what the Trinity was, of what's God's purpose within their life and what the Holy Spirit does within their life and what Jesus, who Jesus is as well to them. And so as we continue to read through this, just keep that in mind that, again, it's if you want to read this on your own at home, just continue to do that, but read through it all the way, you know, and, and really get the flavor of what, you know, Peter is writing to this church so that you can keep it within the context of what he's writing this way as well to you. So we're going to pick up in verse 13 tonight. I'll read it again through verse 3 of the second chapter, and then we will um, pray, and then we'll start our study from there. So Father God, thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for those that have made it out um, some for the third week, which is amazing to me that they would come out and hear me three weeks in a row. Um, Lord, we just, um, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon us and um, that whatever the confusion or whatever the struggles or whatever the things that are going on in the world, that Lord, that you would help us to just take a deep breath. Lord, help us to just rest um, in Jesus Christ as, as Pastor was just singing, Lord, that there's no boasting in what we do. There's no boasting in any ability that we have, but I will boast in you, Lord. And so, Father, those that are here this evening, I just pray that you would use me and help me to speak clearly of what you are wanting to hear us here tonight. Lord, at the same time, I lift up the children's workers and, and the job that they're doing with our children this evening as well, and that you would open the hearts of those children, um, that they might receive... Um, the seeds that need to be planted, Lord, water the seeds that need to be planted, harvest tonight if needed, be with Pastor Reggie as well and the youth, um, and help them to have a glorious night as well, too, as you bring forth the word there as, as well. And Lord, that you would just be glorified through all of us this evening, through our thoughts, through our actions, um, how we approach the throne of God, and that, again, that you would be glorified through us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Verse 13 says, starts off, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient, as obedient children, do not conform to the, the, to the devil's, to the evil desires, new context, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, 
So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the, Lord, the, but the word of our Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Verse one in chapter two says, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So again, verse 13, it starts off with a therefore. And as you guys know, you're a Wednesday night crowd. You understand when you see a therefore, you have to go back and find out what it's there for. And so you guys are expecting that already. So you know what it means. So last week's study was on salvation. We talked about that. And, and for our purpose of what we did is we did a shortened version of what the Romans road is. And so again, it's a Wednesday night crowd. You probably know what the Romans road is. And we, we described why we need salvation, that we are sinners. You know, we all agree that we're sinners. We understand that. And we earned a wage through that. We earned death. And this death is not just a physical death, okay? And I mean, we're all going to die. That is, that's just the fact of what's gonna happen. But more importantly, that there was a spiritual death. And that through this spiritual death, and she was really upset about that too, but through the spiritual death is, is greater because now there's a separation between us and God for all of eternity. It's not that it's just the fact that you die and we're all going to die. It's the fact that there's a spiritual death where now I can never be in the glory of the Lord because there's a spiritual death, there's a wage, there's a sin that's separating me from, from God. And Christ's sacrifice, and more importantly, his blood paid that debt. It was the wage. We, he paid the wage that we had earned, and then, then therefore allowed us to have that salvation, and therefore then eventually be able to have right standing before God. So Peter says this with a reminder of what you have obtained by God and your belief in Christ, that in verse 13, it says, we have responsibility of how to live our saved lives, that we are children of God and, and we've, in our household. So if we're children of God, if you're in our household and you're a child of, of the Sullivan clan, there's certain things that we expect you of you. We expect you to live a certain way. We expect you to act a certain way. And we've, we've kind of taught them up through the years and we're on our last one now. He's a senior in high school. And so as they then leave the household, we're still in expectation because we've invested this time. We've invested character to you. We've invested morals to you. There's just certain things that we've looked into you, that we've taught into you, that you hopefully have seen within us, that then you will then carry on as you move out on your own. And so that would be the expectation. Well, the expectation is the same thing for us. If we call ourselves children of God, and we, we're, we're, we're children of God, and he has an expectation of how we live, so he's, he was, he's invested in us. He's written his word of, the word of God for us that we are able to read and we're able to apply to our life. He's 
The Holy Spirit is within inside of us and it's convicting us. And so there's an expectation as children of God of how we're supposed to live at the same time. So therefore, we should live a certain way as children of God. So verse 13, then as he carries on, he says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. So with minds that are alert and fully sober. So minds here is, is it's the faculty of understanding. It's, it's, a, it's the feeling and the desire. And it denotes the, the seed of thinking and the place from which desires originate. So somewhere deep in your mind, it's, the, it's that area where it moves out and that's where those desires and those urges and, and things like that occur from where you're at. So the faculty of understanding. So with the minds that are alert, and so alert means to be ready to learn, to prepare for action. And so for the first thing that pops in my mind is, is kind of like a garbage in and garbage out type thing. So if you're, if you're having just garbage that comes into your mind all the time, and, and, and so what, what do you expect to be able to come out at that time? It's just gonna be garbage. And so what you're filling your brain with is the same thing that's gonna be able to come out at that time, same time as well too. So again, now, I'm not talking about football. So all the ladies just move that to the side. We're not talking about football tonight. We're talking about other things that we might watch, okay? So other things that you watch on TV are those things glorifying unto God? Well, this is a personal thing that you have to be able to look at. Are the things that you're scrolling a past on social media, are those things glorifying unto God? That sitting that you're laughing, that you're like, oh, I'm laughing at this, but man, I really shouldn't be laughing at this, but this is really funny. Well, are you being alert about the thing that you're allowing to come within your brain? The things that you read, are things that you read, are those things glorifying unto God? Are reading stories that you shouldn't be reading and they're, that are creating certain images and thoughts within your mind that are, that are creating desires that you shouldn't be having because it's outside of whether you're wedlock or if you're not married and giving you desires that you shouldn't be having at this moment as well too? What are the things that you talk about? What are the things that you talk about whether it with other people or the jokes that you laugh at with other guys? If you're a guy, we have the guy jokes that we have and I'm sure ladies have the same ones, but I'm not in those conversations. So... It's the things that you, that you talk about, the things that you, that you explore, the things that you allow your brain to go into that maybe this evening you're like, man, I, I shouldn't be having those conversations. I shouldn't be laughing at those jokes. I shouldn't be watching that thing on TV. I shouldn't be spending so much time as I'm scrolling past something. And, you know, and a lot of times as we as, as older people, we like to look at the younger generation and go, well, it's the TikTok and it's the, you know, they're not on Facebook, so it's Instagram and it's, it's whatever the new ones is. And I'll find out this Sunday when I talk to N21, like what's the new stuff. But it's, it's all those things that we look at them for. But the same thing is on your Facebook if you wanna look at it. I mean, anything that you want to find, you can find sin because it's there. So again, as we try to classify everybody in different things, it's, it's you personally what are you allowing to be within your brain? What are you allowing those deep recesses to be able to then focus on that then is taking your mind off of what God wants you to do or more importantly, off of him? Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, worthy, think about such things. So God, so many times we look at it and go, God just gives us so many rules and I can't do anything and, and, and it's just, he's just keeping me in this little basket. And he, he's like, no, I, I'm telling you right now, all these things right here, think about them any time that you want to. 
Think about things that are true. Things that, think about things that are noble. Things that, think about things that are right and whatever are pure. And the amazing thing is that the things that you focus on then becomes who you are. You know, if I'm thinking about things that are, again, garbage in, then my mind is polluted and my, my thoughts are polluted and my language is per, 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 per that word. And, and so <laughs> all those things, it's just, it's, it's, that's what becomes polluted within me. But no, if I, if I am thinking of things that are pure and if I am thinking of things that are holy and am I thinking of the things that are right, then guess what? Then I'm known as the guy that just gives a lot of grace to people that, that probably don't deserve it. Well, I'd rather have that as my you know, mantra of a person than having the other side. I'd rather be loving and, and be pure and not get your joke that you're laughing at or not get the, the situation within a movie and not understand what they're talking about because, well, my mind isn't polluted with those things. That, that's who I would rather be. And again, it's coming from a guy who is unbelievably sarcastic. I'll say this for my wife before she chimes in. I am unbelievably sarcastic and, and, to, and to be honest, something that I have really worked on over the years where I would say things that every single person would laugh at because it just came to mind. It was just, it was a gift, okay? <laughs> a very bad gift. And so it was just a point of, they would be funny, but it'd be unbelievably inappropriate. And so now I've gotten to the point where I think them, okay? So that's good, I'm not saying it, all right? So now the next thing that I'm trying to do, and we've been working on it for the last several years, is, is to not then think those things. You know, there's times where I still laugh in the car or something like that. And Christine's like, what? And I'm like, can't tell you. You know, like, you know, one person sinning is enough right now. Like, we don't need to have it together. So again, it's not something that you just automatically jump into. No, it's a process. But it's something that either you're going to embrace and you're going to try to do, or you're just going to slide in with everybody else and do the garbage in, garbage out. So with minds that are alert, okay, you're aware of the things that you're putting within your mind and that you're fully sober. Sober here is, is clear-headed. It's, it's not drunk. And, and alcohol and drugs, drugs, as you guys know, it just, it dulls your mind and it makes it hard to clearly think without confusion. You know, and, and it just allows those things to come in with your mind and with your brain. And it allows you either, it gives you the freedom to do stuff that you never would do, or it allows you to have an excuse to do things that you typically wouldn't do but it's not something that you should allow within your brain because you don't have self-control anymore. And again, it's not one of the fruits of the Spirit is not lacking self-control. It's actually to have self-control. And so now if you've allowed something to come in with your body that is not allowing you to have the ability to make those clear decisions, well, then you're not sober anymore. First Thessalonians 5, 5 and 6, it says, <clears throat> you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then... Let us be like others who are asleep. Let us not like be others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So again, there's two different people. There's people who are in the light. Prayerfully, you are that person tonight. If you're not, please talk to me afterwards. So if you're in the light, well, there's certain things that we should be doing as people who are in the light. We shouldn't be in the dark and allowing those things to come in, and we shouldn't be doing things that people in the dark do. It's amazing too, is if depending on when you got saved or how old you were at that time, there's certain areas that I've been in my life, you know, bars and stuff like that, where before I was saved that you would walk into and you were just thinking, oh, it's a great time. We're having a great time and all this other stuff. Then you get saved and you walk into the same area in the same bar and now all of a sudden it's just lighter in there. Did they turn the lights up because you were there? No, not at all, okay? Because they want it dark. So that's what the people in the dark do, right? And so as you walk in there, all of a sudden you have spiritual eyes 
and you start to see the things that are going on. And the people who are having as much fun as you thought that they were having are really not having as much fun as that they were having. You realize at the same time when you were in those areas that you were not having as much fun as you thought that you were having. Why? Because you were in the dark and people in the dark do things that are in the dark. And I don't look at people that are not saved and expect anything different from them. They don't have a compass. They don't have an understanding. They have a moral understanding of what they're doing. If they're in the world, I expect them to act like people in the world. People who are saved and people who are in the light, there should be a noticeable difference and not allow yourself to be put in situations and not allow yourself to have those temptations and not allow yourself to be able to justify going and doing something that you know that you shouldn't be doing. You would never allow and take, if Jesus was here, you would never say, hey, let's head down to such and such place. You'd be like, that's completely foreign. Why would I do that? Well, he's with you anyways. Why, why are you still doing that? Why are you still reading those books and doing those things that you know that you shouldn't be doing? So again, verse 13 says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So hope here is expecting and expecting what is the grace to be brought? Well, the grace to be brought is, is salvation. That's what we're expecting. We saw that back in verse nine and 10 last week it was. And so this is our hope. We're hoping in salvation that's coming. And the salvation is coming when, when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We saw that back in verse seven as well too. So revealed, it's something that is made fully known. And so again, as, as the, the curtain of, of heaven opens up and Jesus comes onto the scene, he is open and he is there. And all of the world sees who Christ is at that moment. So Christ comes back and we receive this hope and we receive our salvation. And then everything is great because this is what we've been hoping for. And this is the things that we've been waiting to see. Verse 14 through 16, it moves on. It says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter gives us a warning, a warning. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. And conform here is to, is to shape one's behavior. Um, it, to me, it was immediately, my mind went to Romans 12, one and two, and it's gonna be on the, the screen for you. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Can I stop there for a second real quick? It's one of the things that always sticks out to me when I read this is it's a living sacrifice. Do you understand that? Okay, again, it's so easy if, I think if we were to be dead and be a martyr for Christ, you'd be like, yes, I'm in heaven. Like, that's the worst thing that happens. You're like, okay, I'm in heaven. Like, wow. But it's to be a living sacrifice. Are you as a church willing to crawl up on the altar every day and offer your life to the Lord? God, what is it that you want me to do today? I'm willing to, to be a sacrifice for you. No, no, I don't wanna die. I wanna, I wanna, I'm gonna live for you and whatever that you've called me to do. I want you to go to Africa, I'm Africa. I want you to go to Russia. I want you to go down to see your in-laws. I want you to go and see your sister. I want you to go and see your best friend who is not saved. I want you to go, where, where is it that the Lord wants you to go? I want you to go in a counseling ministry. I want you to go into, you, you start naming off the different things that are, that are available out there for you. Are you willing to do that? I want, to be, I want you to be a witness within your work. I want you to be a witness within your family. 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the evil desires of the world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So again, as, as we've been saved, and we've talked about salvation last week, so now we've been set apart. We're over here. We're in the light now. We're no longer in the dark. So therefore, I need to be conformed in the image of God, right? So how do we do that? We, we need to be in the word of God, correct? So we understand that. So in the old days, they would have the four spiritual things that you need to do to, if you get saved. The first thing would be is to pray. So they'd say, the first thing you need to do as a new believer is you need to pray. Well, every believer needs to pray, you need to set up that foundation. You need to be able to talk to God. You need to, to give him the, the goods and the bads of your day and the struggles that you're having and people that you want to pray for. But the bar, other part of prayer is to listen to God and to be able to hear what he's then speaking back to you. The second thing is to, is to read your Bible. And you've got you to have, start having a foundation of reading your Bible consistently, whether it's in the New Testament or the Old and the New Testament at the same time or Psalms or Proverbs or all the above. There needs to be a consistent walk within your life that you're reading the Bible. Well, Kevin, it's too busy or I just can't find time to do it. You, you eat three times a day, most of you, at least twice. Read while you're eating. I mean, you, you, you have physical food that comes into your body. You have got to have spiritual food within your body. You, you can't go into this world without having something of the Lord that has nourished your body and has nourished your spirit so that you can then go into this world and to be able to live differently than what they're, what they're continually to compound you on every single thing, whether through media or through Facebook or through TV or through radio or whatever that it's you're, you're just taking in, you have to have something that it gives you what a true standard of life is. The third thing would be fellowship. You've got to be around other Christians. You, to be able to have a, a standard and understanding of how to live as a Christian, well, I need to be around other Christians to do that, correct? I mean, I can't be like, hey, I'm trying to figure this thing out as a Christian. Let me go hang out with all my unsaved friends and try to figure it out. That just doesn't work, right? So, I mean, if, if I want to live as a Christian, I have to be around other Christians to be able to assist me in that so that I can see what, what it is that are ups and downs in life and how does that person handle it when they're going through a hard time and, hey, man, I just need somebody to pray with. I was having a hard time today. And that Christian then comes alongside of you and they just help you to walk through life. And again, showing you that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that everything is perfect in life. It is far from it. I mean, we were promised tribulations by Jesus. Like in this world, you will have tribulations. It's gonna happen. It's a fallen world. Come alongside somebody else and be able to walk the walk of a Christian. The other thing would be witnessing. And witnessing is something that you have to do, whether you're on a beach, whether you're in a a mall or whether you're just in your family or at the supermarket or at a playground or wherever that you're at, that you just begin witnessing by living your life and asking questions and opening up dialogue with other people. And it doesn't mean that you're gonna have every single answer to every question that they have, but it gives you an opportunity then to go find the answer and come back and develop a relationship with that person. But it's just, are you willing to tell other people about the goodness of Jesus Christ has done in your life? So those are four easy ways to break it down to how do I not be conformed to this world, but yet how do I turn into what God wants me to be as a Christian? It's very simple. So before you were a believer and you walked in the darkness, Peter says, actually Peter uses a harder word, he uses ignorance. And so Paul speaking 
of unbelievers in Ephesians 4.18, it says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Okay, so the hardening of the heart. So as, as you continued, as, but maybe before you were a, cry, a Christian, you had this hardened heart. You had a heart, a, stone, a heart of stone that you were just unable to understand and unable to be able to, to meld to what the, the desires of God was within your life. And you were just maybe just a hard person. And so then God comes in and he takes that stone out of your heart and he gives you a heart of flesh. And all of a sudden you, you begin to care about people. You begin to, to understand the, with compassion with people. And for the record, that was you and I at one time. But the difference is now is that we have the Holy Spirit in us. And again, prayerfully, you're reading the word of God. And so as you continue to read the word of God and we, the, there's, there's knowledge that comes inside of you and there's conviction that happens and you, you begin to all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're, you're having an understanding and a feeling for compassion for people that maybe you didn't care for, for before. And all of a sudden you're, you're starting to understand that they're just lost. And they need to have an understanding who, how much God loves them and how much Jesus died for them and how much he, he wants in their life and and all of a sudden, this, this, this hardened and this frustration just turns into a desire just to continue to pray for them. A desire to reach across the aisle is what the new terminology is in politics these days, is to reach across the aisle or reach across whatever barrier that is between you and somebody else and to care about them. Christian, we should be different than what the world acts. There should be a difference when, when people come within the church or they're around other believers of understanding that there's a difference when you're around Christians. It's amazing, you can be a Christian and you can be, name a state, George or something like that, you run into somebody who's a Christian, you're like, what? You know, hey, how you doing? You know, all of a sudden there's like this bond that automatically happens, like it's family that you haven't seen forever. You know, they're like, hey, how you doing, man? And so you just start talking, you know? We went and bought, bought meat, um, a half a cow, oh goodness, like 12 years ago or something like that, up in Jacksonville somewhere, and found out this guy's a believer, and so he's like, you guys are believers? Like, we're believers. And so we had our kids were little at the time and he had this big farm and land, you remember that? And he took us on his truck and we went and toured the entire thing. We spent like half a day with this guy it, just because we're believers. And we're just, we're just talking about the Lord and we're just driving around and seeing all the different things by because it's, it's just different when you're around other believers. Well, wouldn't we need to if we just continue to then, you know, bring other people within the fold of who we are? You know, ah, that person doesn't want to come to church, you know, because they're just, well, invite them tonight or next week. Hey, man, I'll buy you dinner and, and just come and, and hang out and, and listen to the word of God and, and, and be great worship ahead of time and, and, just, and just tell them the great time that you're having. I mean, I think so many times we're embarrassed because we're Christians and are like, what'd you do this weekend? I went to church, you know, and you're just kind of like, hold back or you're embarrassed. It's just be like... I went to church, man. I had a great time with my family. I mean, we were praise and worship. We had breakfast beforehand. We hang out afterwards. We had to grab coffee and we laugh and joke the entire time. And well, what'd you do this weekend? What are they gonna come back with? Like, oh gosh, I can't believe you did. No, they're gonna be like, you did what at church? Like, no, man, we had a great time. You know, we just laugh and joke and we just enjoy being around each other. Man, I into one later that night too. And we just hung out with a bunch of young people who don't mind hanging around with 50 year old guy and and make fun of him because he's old, but um, (laughs) 
Christian, are there areas in your life that are still compromising to you? Are there areas in your life that you need to be able to look at the Lord and say, you know what, God, tonight I just, I need to get rid of these things. There's an addiction to this or there's an addiction to this and, and Lord, I'm just, I'm coming before the altar and I just, I'm asking you, I need, I need help. I don't want this in my life anymore. I, I, I wanna be conformed to you. I wanna I want be in the image of Christ and I wanna, I wanna get, shun all this stuff off of me and well then do that tonight. I mean, pray and ask the Lord to do it. Come forward and ask for accountability or ask somebody to pray with you. I mean, we're happy to do it. There's not a judgment here. Boy, we wanna come alongside of you and we wanna help you to be able to do that and, and to help you to walk through that. Again, it's the fellowship part of, of the walk of Christ, of a Christian. Peter moves on in verse 15 and says, <clears throat> sorry, but it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. But there's a contrast that's happening here because he says, but, and he says, be holy. And, and so what is holy? It's Holy is to be set apart. It's to be consecrated. And both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, again, something that you learn when you're studying is both in the Old Testament and the New Testament speak more of God's holiness than any other attribute of God. I thought that was interesting. In the Bible, it talks so important of the holiness of who God is it speaks more of it in the Old Testament and the New Testament than any other attribute of God. Why? Because if he's holy, well, well God can't sin. It, it's impossible. People always joke around, like, well, there's something God can't do. Yeah, he can't sin. Like, it's impossible. It's just, it's not, it's, it's impossible for God to do that. Well, because he can't sin and his, his understanding is pure and true, well, his, his judgments are right. I mean, his judgment, whenever we worry about, well, well, God's making the decision. Well, the only reason that you're worried about it that is because you have your own selfish desire in there. Like, how's God gonna do this? Well, God's gonna be right in his judgment. Why? Because God is pure and God is stainless. I mean, he's, he's so holy and so pure that he, he just tells him, like, I, you can't see me at my appearance because you, you will die. That's how pure I am. I think it's at the end of 1 Timothy going off my notes here, but at the end of 1 Timothy, I think it's, it's the inapproachable light of God. Like it's, it's, it's you coming upon God because he's so pure and he's so holy that this light that you're approaching is so unbelievably bright because he's God. I told you last week that I was in the book of Leviticus and actually I'm in the book of Numbers finally, but it says, it, but Peter's quoting the Leviticus and Leviticus 11, 44 and 45 and Leviticus 19, 2 and Leviticus 27 and, and, and verse 26 as well too. That's where he's taking this quote from. And, and the, thing, the, the thing about Leviticus is that I love is that, that it's, he's setting up the nation and he's setting up the rules and the understanding. But the reason that he's doing that is to tell the people just how holy that he is. Like you just can't come within my presence. Like when I'm in that temple that you're gonna make for me, like you, you have to understand you cannot come into my presence because I am that holy and then I'm that pure. And as, as people that I'm gonna call my people, I need you live a certain way that the rest of the world will understand that I have pulled you out from them. And then he'll go down the list as far as don't do this like the other nations do. Don't do this like the other nations do. Why? Because you are my people and I am holy. And he's calling us the same way as that. He's like, look, I, I'm telling you Christians there are laws and there are rules and there's understandings of how we're to live our life. 
Just as the, as the Jews, as I pulled them out of Egypt and I saved them and I brought them out and I've set up a nation within them, he's looking at us the same way and saying, look, this is how I want you to live your life. But you have to be different from everybody else. Why? Because you, you need to be holy because I am holy. Again, the things that we do within our life, we don't do it so that Kevin gets glory or Pastor Carl gets glory or Pat gets glory. As wonderful the talents that they have, it's not that for them, so that God gets the glory. Why? Because he's the only one who deserves it. Because it, I'm not holy, I can promise you that, but my attempt is to be holy. My striving is to be holy. We say, well, Kevin, I, I can't be holy, and, and you just talked about that too, because we, you know, we're, we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. Yes, we are all sinners. But the beautiful thing is, remember two weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit and we talked about sanctification. And the reason of what the Holy Spirit was doing is he was coming into us so that, you know, God again provides, um, called us so that we could be saved and the Holy Spirit woos us and then Jesus Christ by his blood saves us. But the Holy Spirit, what he does is he, he walks us through our life to allow us and shows us to be so we can be more holy. He continues to work on you and he continues to, to mold you in certain areas and he calls you out and he convicts you in certain things and he, he, he encourages you in certain areas as well too. Why? So that we can continue to try to be as holy as possible. Again, not sinless. We'll never be sinless until we get to heaven, but it's a point where the Holy Spirit is inside of us and, and, and he's doing that so that we can try to be holy in our walk. Again, you should be more holy in your walk today, again, not perfect, than you were a year ago than you were six months ago. I mean, if you're truly seeking God and you're truly seeking his word and you're truly calling out to him, then God will be very just in being able to assist you and showing areas in your life that you need to correct. But Peter is saying you have a heavenly perspective on your decision is, is to be holy. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, it says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. That is the desire of what the Lord has called us. Verse 17, he moves on. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it's not with perishable things as such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Peter, first of all, nice reminds us God is our father. Thus our relationship is with him. But he also reminds us that God judges impartially. See, God doesn't look at it as far as how much that you give in your tithes. He doesn't he say how much you know, hair that you have on your head. He doesn't care about all these other things that go on with your life because God says that, as, as, again, his judgment is pure and his judgment is holy. We see this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says God chose um, David with Samuel um, because Dave, Samuel is looking at all the, the guys and he's like, oh, this guy's gotta be the guy. Look at him, he looks good. I mean, he, he talks nice. He's got the good hair and everything else. He's got the, the skinny jeans on, all the kind of stuff that we have to have as you know, youth pastors and all this stuff nowadays. And so he's got that going on for him and he's gotta be the guy. And God's like, that's not him. And then he brings another one. Oh, this is really the guy then. Keeps going through and then David comes out. He's like, David? Are you, like, this is the guy? And what the conviction is, is it was, we do the same thing. 
We do the same thing. Like you see certain people and you're like, oh, that guy's got it really together. He's probably really good at his job because again, the perfect hair, the perfect suit, all that kind of stuff. And again, we, so we, we look at the outside is what God calls and tells Samuel about, but I look at the heart. And God's looking at the heart of David and going, this is a man that I can use. And it's the same thing that Jesus looked at Peter, you know, probably four, well, longer than that at this point, but three years before Peter actually gets redeemed by the Lord, by Jesus in their conversation, Jesus saw that ahead of time of the man that he could use in Peter. He said, Peter's the guy that I can use and that I will use. We see in James 2, it says that God doesn't care about the rich or the poor. It doesn't matter if you're filthy rich in here tonight or you're dirt poor in here tonight. God still loves you the same. It doesn't matter to him. Ephesians 6, 9, it says, it doesn't matter if it's a slave or a master. You could have a business. You could be the workers at the business. God says, look, I, I judge everybody by the same standard. It doesn't matter to me. Your wealth your fleshly abilities have nothing to do with how that I judge. Why? Because again, I am holy and I am pure. Let me read the verse 17. I'll read it in the New Living Translation this time for, in honor of Pastor Carl. It says, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in this land. And I like the way that the New Living Translation just kind of summarizes it a little bit for you. It just makes it easier to read. It says, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. Again, he doesn't care. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. Again, so it's, it's Christians. Again, so we work to do, we have work to do as Christians. Okay, so as we move through our life, you have to have a reverent understanding of who God is. God, again, is not somebody who's got a baseball bat who is just ready to just whack you as soon as that you do something wrong. That's not having reverent fear. It's having fear. I mean, that's just, just not who God is. It's not who a father would be. It's having a reverent fear would be somebody that's, that is understanding, that, that cares, that has a, has a personality behind him who cares about you because you're his children. It's having a reverent fear of understanding that he is still God. I mean, the God who spoke everything into existence is still that person. I mean, again, as we look back to Pastor Carl doing the book of Job, again, he has the ability still to decide on if you prosper or if you don't. It's not that he has any right to have to come back to Job to say any, give any, any reasons why, because he is still God. Too many times we twist the fact that, you know, God has a plan for your life and to prosper and everything else. Well, it doesn't mean that you're gonna prosper. Everybody in here is gonna financially prosper. I mean, we should have all Ferraris out here if we were gonna do that, right? I mean, that would be God looking out, he's just gonna prosper us. I'm like, well, then that's a God I'm gonna follow, you know, I'm gonna get a Ferrari out of this deal. But what does it mean? Does it mean that you're gonna sell your soul for that? That you spend the rest of eternity in hell? Well, that's, that's not the character of who God is. God says, I, 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 I love you and I care for you. The promise he does that give you is that he will provide your needs that you have for today. Now, don't worry about today, I got you. Anything that you need today, need today that I've gotten taken care of. Verse 18, it says that we were redeemed. Redeemed says to set free, it's to liberate from an oppressive condition. And we were set free by the life, by the life of, <laughs> I wrote this wrong. And so of sin by the payment of blood of, of Jesus Christ. So that's what I was looking for earlier. So we're set free from the, the, the life of, 
I can't read, I can't figure this out now. So this is what you need to do when you look at your notes. This is called humbling because I was talking to somebody last week about this. Um, we were free from the life of, we were free from life of sin by the payment of, of, of Jesus's blood. Can we go back and just, you know, tidy that up a little bit on the radio? Um, so, so because of what Jesus did in our blood, his blood that provided us, that's the redemption that we needed. See, at this time, though, the Romans and the Jews would have understood this because they understood what, what having slaves were or being a slave, and they understood in that culture how important it was to have somebody to be a redeemer to take care of what they owed. See, again, as, as wonderful as we look at Jesus as he's our savior, what really is more important that he was our redeemer. Okay, savior is wonderful, and I love Jesus, my savior, but man, I needed a redeemer. I need somebody whose blood was just so valuable that it was able to take care of the wage that I had. But see, we're not redeemed by worthless silver and gold that we're commenting back on verse seven again, but again, it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ it's, that's more valuable than silver and gold. So again, if you wanna go back to the Ferrari analogy, so do you, do you want a Ferrari or do you want the precious blood of Jesus Christ? Well, that's what I need. Because see, I have a debt that I can't pay on my own. I need a redeemer that's gonna come alongside and, and rescue this, this saver, this sinner, this slave person that I am to be able to take care of me. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 14 says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So again, too, so again, as we, we come into the Easter season, it's, it's again, that not the fact, again, as I mentioned last week, we, we're, we're, it's not Good Friday when Jesus dies on the cross. It's the fact that there's an empty tomb on that Sunday that we celebrate. Why? Because if, if he wasn't able to overcome death, then, then what hope is there for us? But it's the fact that we have a, a living sacrifice that has come along, and, and, and if it's Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Faith isn't worth it to have it there. You might as well follow Buddha or all the other ones that you can find bones of, but there's no bones of Christ. Why? Because he's risen and he's alive. But with a risen savior, our faith and our hope are in God. Verse 22, Peter moves on and says, now that you, are pure, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like glass and are grass and all glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that he has preached to you. Purified moral uprightness and and, and is, is being purified, it's having this, this uprightness of how you, you live your life. Well, how is this done? Well, it's by obeying the truth. For them, it was the teachings of the, of the gospels and, and so and as of Christ is how he would, they would explain it to them. But for us, it's the same. It's, it's the Bible. And I hate to, to continue to beat a, a drum here, but, but are you reading your Bible? So again, it's so important for us to be here on a Wednesday night and it's so important for us to be here on a Sunday You've got to be consistently reading the word of God. You've got to consistently be in the word of God and allowing it to come within your heart and within your mind and being able to change and transform who you are. And it doesn't come through jokes and it doesn't come through great preaching, which you get all of that stuff here, 
I mean, not the jokes part, but I mean, but Carl's got some good jokes, but it's got, it's the fact of, but are you more importantly in the word of God and allowing that to be what is going to continue to, to purify your souls and to purify who you are? Well, then if all this stuff happens and then, well, then we love others. See, the word here is this word here is, is Philadelphia. It's, it's brotherly love. So Philadelphia, it's kind of funny that it's brotherly love there for the description for Philadelphia, but that's, that's what it is. Matthew 22 is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart and soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think if we loved our neighbors as ourself, we probably have a lot better neighbors, would we not? I mean, because I, I joke around a lot of times that, you know, I love me. You know, like I, I, I take care of me. I feed me. I, I shower me. You know, I, my wife makes fun of me because I brush my hair. I mean, I, I put on clothes every day. I put, you know, cologne on. I mean, I take care of me because I love me. But do you love your neighbor as you love you? I mean, do you look out for your neighbor and the needs that they might have? And I'm not talking just physically your neighbor, but the people that you see within the store. And do you have open eyes to understand that there are the people that are around you? Do you put your spiritual glasses on to be able to understand that there might be needs that you're even here in this room this evening? That somebody that just needs somebody to come along and pray for them. Somebody that's willing to come along and give them a, a strong word of encouragement. I was at a, a get-together and it was um, two guys talking and, and one was, had was going through a hard time. Nobody knew that they were going through a hard time. And he told the other guy that was in the room, he said, you know, and you, nobody knew it, but you came up for no reason. You never do this before. And you gave me a hug. He goes, and it just brought me to tears. And it just, it meant so much to me that the Lord was speaking through you to me. And you had two guys that are just sitting there having a conversation now. And it's kind of uncomfortable because they're both crying about the situation. And, but it's, it's, it was just beautiful to see Beautiful to see like two just strong men being open at that moment and talking about a hug. And that was the touch that they needed to have from the Lord. And the other guy going, I, I don't know why I did it. I just knew that I needed to come up and give you a hug. You're like, that's, that's the beautifulness of Christ. That's the beautiful night of Christ within each of us. So that as we look at others and we have that brotherly love and we, we see each other and we encourage each other and we cry with each other and we pray with each other and we, we do life together, well, that's what we do. Well, that's what we've been called to do. Why do we do this? Well, we've been born again. And we're new creations in Christ. And we should understand the value in the word that has been preached to us and has changed our destination. Why do we do it? Because we understand that we have a hope. We have a hope for something more than whatever this world is able to give you. And sometimes this world gives you wonderful things and sometimes this world just tears you down and sometimes this world is meh. But we don't have to be happy with where we're at. Why? Because we're still heavenly minded and we're still heavenly focused. And so as we look around to others and then what do I have to be sad about? You know, I, I, I need to rejoice in this and I need to be able to come along others because my, my, my attitude and my personality isn't dictated by what the world gives me. I have a heavenly focus on where I'm heading to. Peter closes with, basically it's Isaiah 46 through eight and 
This is hysterical because every time I see this right now, if Jonathan's listening to me on in FSU, he, he'll text me because um, Isaiah 48 was a long time ago. He did the Bible B. There was this big national thing with kids that you had to memorize a whole bunch of scriptures and then answer a bunch of questions and stuff like that. In uh, his first year, he did really well, I might add. Um, so, but one of the ones that we'd always talk about, I just, it was just funny because it was Isaiah 48. I'm like, 48 what? He's like, no, it's 48. I'm like, 48 what? Like, 48 what verse? He's like, no, it's 40 verse 8. He's like, my dad's an idiot. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever, man. 48, then come on, say it. And so he would just, it was just always hysterical. It's always our joke for his entire life is, you know, it's, it's the, the, all the glories, like the flowers of the field and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Like, even now I could call him up and I'm like, Jonathan, what's Isaiah 48? He can recite it today, like 10 years later. But isn't that beautiful? The fact that, again, it's, it's the, what Isaiah is saying about it is all these deeds that we do in our own flesh and our own abilities just, it just means nothing. But we know the things that we do within the spirit and we do for the Lord and we do that the Lord does as well too. Oh man, those last forever. And it just carries on. And as, as here we are 2,000 years later reading a book that, or a letter that Peter wrote encouraging us within our walk. We see a man who died on a cross 2,000 years later that's influencing our lives and how we live. Chapter two says, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies crave spiritual, pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And therefore, again, now that you have been redeemed and now that you've been purified and now that you have, have, have a hope and a salvation, Peter calls us to action. And he says, lay aside. Rid yourselves of all these things. And, I, and hopefully I don't have to go through each one of these. I didn't really look up the definition of all these. I typically do. I, I figured you guys could figure this out for yourself to rid yourself, to lay aside these things, the malice that's in your life, the deceit that's in your life, the hypocrisy that's in your life, the envy that's in your life, the slander of every kind. And Christian, hopefully that these are not common threads within your life. Because these are things that should be in the world's life. These are things that feed the flesh. And see, these are things that shouldn't be within your life. If you're trying to be holy as I am holy, well, it's hard to be holy when you're having hypocrisy and you're having envy and you're slandering everybody around you. These, these are not characteristics that you should be striving for within your life. And if you do have these things, like my sarcasm, then you need to be, be praying about these things. Lord, Lord, give me guidance to get these things out of my life. Hopefully these are not common to your life and that they've been purified by obeying the truth. And these are descriptions of a life that's self-pleasing, Instead, like newborn babies, desire the word of God. Read the word of God. I wrote in here, not for homework. I don't know, I thought I was doing this for school or something like that, but, but don't do it for homework either. Don't do it so that somebody can see that you checked it off on your, your plan on you version. Everybody can see, oh, Kevin's super spiritual. He did, you know, four books of Leviticus today. Isn't he awesome? And you know, you, you do it because I'm just trying to hear from the Lord today. I'm 
going back to Matthew and I'm just reading Matthew. Why? Because I'm just trying to study what Jesus did in his life and, I, and I'm taking it in and I'm just trying to apply it to my life and I'm just praying that God speaks to me through his word today. I'm looking for application. And I, so many times we hear people say it too, it's like, you know, you gotta read something in the morning so you have something to give somebody else later that day. And that might be great, but it, I need it that day. I need to be able to sit there. And I think as, as I've gone over the last couple of years of just seeing a more valuable and more important reason to be able to pray and the, the value of it within my life and, and the need for it and others that are around me of just of being able to pray for other people and coming along men that just inspire me of how they have lists of people that they continue to pray for and, and how I just wanting to have that same desire of, of, of reaching people and, and my family members and my friends and then people that are of influence outside of me to be able to pray for those people that I care for, that I've met, and, and then just, and then world affairs. I mean, you're just, you could pray for hours upon hours. But unfortunately, probably prayer is the smallest ministry that we have here. It's the most valuable ministry that we have. It's the only weapon you have. Did you know that? We don't, we don't have any other weapon. It's through prayer. Instead, like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And tasted what is good because you understand again the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. The value of who you were before Christ came into your life through the shedding of his blood and the washing me clean and the giving me the desires of his heart, not of mine. Because see, I can go back and malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, all these things are work heaven. I still have to fight against those things and I still need to go back to what the basics are and seek Jesus and seek his love and his caring and seek the Lord and, and try to find out how to continue to do this thing. I titled it, Be Ye Holy, because be ye holy just sounds more holy, doesn't it, in the King James? I was like, be holy, and like, sounds so NIV. I don't know, I just can't do that, you know? And I encourage you guys to be ye holy. I encourage you guys not to just get into the status quo of what the world tells you is what you're supposed to live your life. Don't be dictated by what the world decides what is cool and not cool, what's important and what's not important. The Lord is important. The Lord has called us to live a certain way. The Lord has called us to have desires of his. That's what I encourage you guys to do. Live in a manner that shows that there's a purpose to your life, which is God. Amen? Father, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for these that have showed up. I pray that, Lord, that you were able to, I know you were able to, God, speak through me and to, through my mistakes and my Kevinness, Lord. I pray that as we head home tonight, this evening, that you will continue to work in each of us, God to have an understanding and to have a desire, Lord, to, to truly seek you. Lord, if there's things that we need to ask for forgiveness tonight, Lord, then I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to understand that there's no condemnation coming forward tonight. If there's somebody who needs 
to ask for forgiveness and accept you as their Lord and Savior tonight. Lord, today is the day of salvation. I pray that they would come forward as well. Somebody needs prayer here tonight and just seeking help and seeking somebody to come alongside, then Lord, I pray that you would help them as well. Lord, we are the church. Lord, help us to be able to love others and love our brothers. Lord, continue to seek you in all that we do, Father. We ask this in your name, amen.